What's going on? Everybody, you've got the card board coaches here with your boy, Coach Co. I am the sports card cartel, as usual, always stacking, never lacking. Randy Rosarena's journey to the Hall of Fame. I'm tracking. This guy's obsessed. Team, we've got a very special guest on the podcast today. We've got Ryan, aka Card Collector Two. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you? Good. Appreciate you ha- you taking the time to jump on the podcast. I know you're super busy, and uh, especially with uh, you got a little one on the way, man. Congrats! Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I definitely uh, appreciate you guys having me. It's uh, it's what I've been looking forward to for a few days. So excited to get into it. Love it, man. So at you know on the subject of having a kid on the way and and, yeah. and your family and so it's very apparent that, you know, based on your content and what you post on a regular basis, like your family is, is a regular part of, of your, your, your business of your, you know, collecting story. Like, how does that, how does that, like, how does it factor? How does, how does, how do you manage to to pull that off? You know, because there's so many people that kind of keep their home and their business life very separate. Um, You know, you, you've kind of, done the rare thing. And, and I think that you've done a wonderful job of kind of app- acclimating the two. So, I mean, how does one even, even get started doing something like that? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think it was intentional from the start, right? I think it kind of happened by accident where, you know, I got on Instagram in 2013, like infancy days for Instagram. Yeah. It was just originally as a place to like post pictures of like cards for trade. It was like, Hey, this, you know, I just picked up this card of the rock. Here it is. Let me know if you want to trade for it. Right. So I was using my Instagram as a place to show photos on uh, on Blowout. And as time progressed, a lot of important things happened in my life that like I didn't use personal Instagram. That was my personal Instagram. So, right, uh, I, I met Regina shortly after I got on Instagram. Um, we started dating in October of 2013. And, you know, we went through life together. So we moved in together. We got a dog. We graduated from Ohio State together, right? We were both at school at Ohio State when they won a national title. We got engaged. So I shared so much of that story on my Instagram. Like it was part of my life. It was, it is a part of my life. It is part of who I am and like my identity. Um, So I shared a lot of my journey from 2013 on, I mean, with the world, but she was, you know, a big part of that. So it was basically everything we were going through together. So when the opportunity for a shop and building it and growing a team and those kind of things happened, it just kind of just made sense for it to be, you know, a family thing. Like she'd been there since the beginning. It, it, it was kind of our story together. Yeah. I want to Ryan, say that. that uh, oh, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Well, I, I got it. I got no, you know, Ryan mentioned the shop. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ryan is emblematic in my opinion. And in so many ways, I'm sure people agree of what was going on during the uh, the COVID market and the COVID boom in the hobby. Um, a lot of people were, were had eyes on you. And, and that's part of what Coach Co was kind of touching on is the fact that you were sharing so much and, and you know, yourself, family, and your hobby. Um, uh, I, I'm sure Coach Co was about to touch on this, but uh, can you talk to us a little bit about this process of becoming a quote-unquote influencer, an early uh, COVID influencer, in, in in my opinion, that people started really following, um, sort of seeing themselves in and getting gaining inspiration from. 
Uh, talk to us a little bit about that that shift from just having a hobby, having an Instagram where you're showing off cards, blow forms, et cetera, and, and then your journey to the, to the shop. Yeah, so I always say I hate the word influencer. Um, it's just, it's not ever what I set out to do. I didn't, you know, I've done this really every day since 2006. I got on blowout forums. I got on Beckett forums. I was on sports card forums. Um, you know, I used any way to communicate. I was on every forum. I have almost a thousand feedback on blowout. It was a big part of my life. Um, I love this hobby and I've done it since I can remember. So um, I think as time has progressed, my, you know, my, my ideas and like some of the uh, intent behind the content is, you know, and I was first starting out, right. I got, a, uh, again, I got the phone, got on the internet. I was probably sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Um, there wasn't really anybody that was like doing it. Like I watched army ATC 22, Alex had videos. He would rip like exquisite and he would do mail days. He always had his like army uniform on. And then there was a guy on there is like Bucknell Bison. He would always do mail day videos. And I watch these kind of guys like here and there. Um, but I didn't really have anybody that was like, Hey, going to shows. This is what I look for in dollar boxes. This is what I, this is why I buy in bulk. This is what you can do with, you know, this or that. So um, I look back on it as, and I'm like, if I could give anybody like a little tip of like what I've learned in 17 years, this is why I buy Iowa Hawkeyes because there's no professional teams in Iowa. So Ricky Stanzi, Sean Green, Marvin McNutt, Riley Reef, these are Iowa legends, but they don't have anything else in Iowa. This is why I buy Iowa Hawkeyes, right? And those are the things you just learn in 17 years. So it's just a way to like use my platform to like teach people. This is some of the tips and tricks on that. Um, but yeah, as COVID, you know, COVID happened, it, it, it was such a unique time because I remember having a conversation with my wife. I was a big Jason Tatum collector at the time. I had a bunch of cool Tatum stuff like cracked ice, next days, galactics, golds, really good stuff. And the shop had just opened. We hadn't even opened a year yet. You start hearing about rumblings about COVID in January, it's February, starting to pick up. And I was like, well, I can't eat these cards. I'm, you know, self-employed, need some revenue, got to have money. I mean, there's product coming out every week, got to reorder stuff. I'm like, I got to have some like safety net for cards. So I sold my entire Jason Tatum collection because the thought in the time, like you look back on it and I, obviously hindsight's 2020, Yeah, but they're going to shut down the world. There's no sports. You can't go anywhere. No one's doing anything and it's going to kill a lot of people. And you're like, that seems like a recipe for disaster for hobbies. That doesn't sound like anything that would be good for COVID, like for, for sports cards. So I'm like, well, might as well sell some of these cards, right? Just see what happens. And it was the exact opposite. It blew up. Everything blew up. Everybody's at home, right? You guys, if you were doing fitness, then yeah. you're probably like exploding. I have a one of my good friends who owns a business here was into fitness and they were doing like fitness, 20 minute fitness videos every day and yeah. couldn't like, couldn't get it out fast enough. And it's what happened with cards is like we had an online following at the time, but as the shop was going and it was just me, I was so focused on building the shop. But when COVID happened and we had to close, we were literally closed one day shy of two months. The only thing you could do is curbside pickup. We were March 17th through May 16th. Couldn't be open. Um, so what we did was like, I was like, Hey, I got this online following. We had probably had 20, 25,000 followers. I'm like, we used to do breaks. Let's, let's run a couple breaks. Let's see what happens. I put a little, six foot Walmart table in the sh my 550 foot, 550 square foot retail store, set it down, threw a little table cover on it. And we just went live on Instagram and we just ripped. 
And it was, it was madness. It was crazy. Um, hired a guy, like a buddy of mine. He's like, Hey, if you ever need any help around the shop, let me know. I would love to work for you one day, maybe down the road. And I call my, my, one of my business advisors and I'm like, Hey, this guy wants to work. I hired him the next day, literally made him an offer, quit. Um, and it just, we broke and broke and broke. And as time went on, it just, again, like, again, you saw it in fitness. I'm sure yeah. it's as people had nothing to do and nowhere to go. They looked, you picked up old hobbies and we were a big player in the market at the time. And then it was just understanding content, understanding engagement and those things. And it just, it, it took off and the rest is kind of history. Love it. What I was going to say initially was I, one thing that I do really appreciate about you. And this is like someone who's, I mean, we've only, this is like our like second time talking, third time talking maybe. Um, yeah. But from the outside is uh, just how genuine you know, I can I can feel and just by consuming some of your content and and you know, including your family and and other big moments in in that type of stuff, like you can really tell that that you're you're okay with letting people in and and really seeing like this is like my life, and and so I was just going to kind of give you kudos about that. And the second thing I wanted to mention is the fact that, you know, you mentioned that you were you've been in the hobby for you know sixteen seventeen years. I I, so I think it's only a, a matter of time if you're obsessed with something or you're you're that fond of something and you're constantly growing in that space that like you know eventually you get your dues right and it's just i mean the covid was just a, a perfect storm for for someone who was already putting so much time and energy into the space and it just kind of like grew exponentially in that sense so uh you know i think you're exactly where you need to be well, i appreciate that for sure yeah i uh i think about that a lot that like this is this is really all I've known for so long. And it is such a big part of my life. It's, you know, I skipped a lot of things in high school. I skipped a lot of things in college. Like I'm so interested in this. I love this hobby and I, I love like everything about it. So it's 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 a lot of fun. It's definitely like I said, a big part of my life and something I've I've enjoyed for as long as I can remember. I think that speaks a lot to something I brought up several times. Sometimes people mistake my what I would call, uh, you know, concerns and looking out for the hobby uh, with being a little bit, little judgmental, which I'm sure there's part of it, but you have been a collector. You have been in the space. When COVID hit and we saw the rise of certain channels, uh, uh, among them, Jeff Wilson, I'm not giving an opinion on Jeff Wilson here. I'm just saying that a lot of these people were basically capitalizing on being at the right, doing the right kind of movement at the right time, although they hadn't been in the hobby very long, didn't have that sort of pedigree, so to speak. So, I mean, right off the bat for the cartel, that was, uh, you know, Card Collector 2 struck me as someone who was not just kind of, um, you know, the new bell to the ball. You'd been around, so to speak. Well, that sounds really bad if I'm talking about bells and balls. But nonetheless, uh, when, when, you, when, you had, when you were running your store, uh, Ryan, uh, were you finding inspiration from other storefronts? A store can go really well. It can go, uh, it can go ass backwards. Um, we we've seen that, and we're especially seeing that with new stores where it might be someone new to the space running it instead of someone with perspective. But did you have some inspiration there with the way you sh you set up your shop and continue to run it? Um, can you see some differences between pre uh, uh, pre pandemic stores and post pandemic stores? A lot of people with pre pandemic stores they think of little mom and pop shops where you can find some bargains because people people aren't staying on top of it. New shops are a little shinier, uh, more gimmicky. Uh, can you give us some thoughts on that sort of thing? Yeah, so sorry, I had my microphone muted. My uh, my dogs are absolutely okay. going crazy. Um, 
shout out to FedEx delivery. Um, yeah. And so in terms of like inspiration up front, like I was, I give a lot of credit. I've talked about this publicly before, but like when I first opened, uh, there were two shops that like really gave me a lot of inspiration and a lot of help to get open. This was back in the day where like there was a lot less product. It was harder to get it. Allocation was a really big deal. Um, so when I first opened like uh, Andy at Indy Card Exchange in Indianapolis yeah. and Ryan at RBI Crew 7 in St. Louis, Missouri, I I know I wouldn't have been able to like grow, especially at the scale we grew, uh, if it wasn't for those guys. Um, like they would do a lot like back in the day where it was like, Hey, this product's coming out. I would get like two or three boxes. We would need like eight or 10 and they would be like, Hey, I'll sell you this. They weren't giving it to me like less than cost, but it was like, Hey, here's a small, you know, you can't get this cheaper elsewhere. Here's a few boxes of this. Here's a few boxes of this box, of this box, of this send me a check in two weeks. And it was the difference between me being able to stay open and have product and grow, um, versus, you know, it's hard. Like you guys talk about it. Like it, it's not easy. Four years ago, it wasn't easy to get product and make margin on it. So I, I talked with a lot of those guys about like what had worked well in their shop, you know, getting into Pokemon, getting into local team boxes, getting into, um, you know, showcases that when I first opened my whole thought around a shop was let's have the nicest, coolest. Like I had a bunch of first off the line boxes when I first opened 1819 prison basketball, 1819 NT basketball, 2018 NT first off the line football, 2018 prison football. Those are expensive boxes yeah. back in the day. They're obviously worth more now, but like yeah. I was a little shop in Grove city, Ohio. I'm like, nobody's coming in to buy a 750 or thousand dollar box in my store. Well, this doesn't make sense. These are boxes we can have later down the road once we've built something, but makes more sense to appeal to the, you know, the masses, like they're going to come in and buy a hundred dollar box, $200 box. So I got a lot of guidance from those guys. And I think that kind of stuff helped. Um, I want to, I want to answer the rest of the question. What was the rest of your question around like the newer, newer yeah, post COVID? What are you seeing? And by the way, I just wanted to say, I'm such a huge fan of uh Andy and uh, the ball card exchange. I'm I, I'm probably one of very few uh, Canadians that have had the uh, mm -hmm. uh, I've had multiple experiences checking out his shop. I I, I I I he was one of very few people I trusted for online breaks because that was relatively new to me during during the pandemic. I can't say you, enough. Yeah, about those you guys. subbed you subbed with him too, no? I, I I did a break where it was a Francisco Alvarez that I hit in a yeah, break yeah. and then I subbed them and it was yeah. such a smooth process. Came back, yeah. jumped in. It was such a great. It was it was the things I needed to see from the hobby at a time where I had a lot of questions about the whole thing. Yeah. But uh, what I was asking Ryan is what what are some of the differences you see between some of these new these new shops that are popping up uh, and the type of shop that you were seeing before uh, before the uh, pandemic? That's a good question. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, truthfully, like I, I don't think it was think for, you... for better or for worse, right? Yeah, sure. I... I think the big thing that COVID did was it made the sports card shop uh, like the thing people wanted to do. It was, hey, this is a way to get product. This is a way to buy stuff. I'm just going to open a card shop. Yeah. That wasn't the case. That wasn't the case before then. You know, before like the market was bubbling pre-COVID, right? The end of 19, like the market was bubbling. You're getting into Luca. You're getting into Otani, Acuna. Like there, yeah. there were reasons the market was bubbling towards the end of 2019. COVID obviously was like a firecracker set it off. Um, but it wasn't necessarily like the cool thing to do. It was, 
Hey, you don't need over the, all the overhead space, just stay online, make deals. Yeah. And I think the thing I see now is just that is kind of the thing is like, hey, card shop, card shop, card shop, card shop. And I think some of those decisions are partly from when the market was booming in COVID, although the market is very different now. We talked about it earlier, you know, Zion PFA 10s peaking at over 900. Those cards are $65 now. Yeah. That's a substantial loss on a, you know, on a piece of cardboard over a 18 month period. Um, so I think that's the big thing is while there are a lot nicer card shops that are opening that opened 10 years ago, you go back then. I think the card shops now look a lot more modern, look a lot nicer. Um, I definitely, I think it will be interesting to see how it shakes out, especially when Fanatics takes over so much is, uh, are we running into the point where there's too many card stores? Um, uh, yeah. That that to me is going to be the, the big question in time is, you know, how many of them decide to stay open through, um, you know, there's, I think I've heard a lot of talks about fanatics, tighter margins, things like that, um, you know, experiences. There's going to be a lot of different things fanatics is going to look for in shops. Is everybody going to be able to afford those tight margins? Is everybody going to be able to afford to put on events? Is everybody going to be able to get signers? Like, I, I think the next age of, of, of cards will be different. And to me, it's, that's one of the things I, I look at in it. That's, you- that's going to be interesting to watch shake down. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, you touched on some some of the important parts of that and uh, the fact that that question arises, are there too many? Uh, I personally believe it's going to really be about the overall experience. That's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with a lot of talk of kind of getting everything automated and online. Mm-hmm. Is that going to potentially enhance the experience or detract from some sort of experience where a lot of shops, I like to associate with shops where there's a there's a, there's a hands-on you know, immediate experience when you're coming in and, yep. and interacting socially, et cetera. Right. So, and I'll be honest, like you talk about like the online experience. I think that's one of the hardest. I don't think I've shared this too, too much, but like, I think that's one of the hardest things for us has always been is when I first opened, like if a big card walked in, let's say a $500 card. That's, that's an expense, a lot of money, 500 bucks. Yeah. If that would have walked in, in 2019, I needed that $500 as a capital thing. Like we needed that money to be turned. So it didn't stay in shop long. If ever it was always, okay, we got this for 500 need to maximize the money. Let's sell it online. As that has gone on in time. And as the online presence we have has grown so much, I think a lot of our business has been get a deal, flip it online, continue to grow the online and continue. Like our goal is to be in every mailbox that collects cards in the country. Whatever happened, I get that. But that's always the goal is to be as many mailboxes as possible. We want to sell as much online as we can. But I think what it is it has done for us, and we've made some adjustments lately, is it's made it hard to continue to put out fresh inventory in shop. So one of the things we're working towards by the end of 2023 is to be more of a Burbank type card store where the focus becomes on the experience in store to continue to build the destination aspect of it while growing the online, uh, you know, subsequently, like it won't be our number one priority in the future to continue to grow the online. We've done a good job of that over the last few years. And we have over 74 row boxes in shop. You can come in and look at any, any time, but the amount of inventory we put online, whether it's on our eBay or our whatnot channel or our website versus how many singles go out in shop on a daily basis, the numbers are probably four to one at the moment. And I think in time for us to grow 
the the focus will shift um, to be more of an in-store experience where we have got a lot of our priorities shifted in-store and uh, the online won't necessarily be the the number one focus. So I, I think that's a shift that it's taken a long time for us to get to, but in this new experience, this new age of card shops, I think it will be important to be able to, you know, Burbank, I, I learned a lot from, from Rob Verez at, at Burbank. He talks a lot about it. The the ability to offer liquidity to customers that are coming in, buying boxes, buying cards, supporting your business, um, but also being able to offer them a top tier selection. Like it's one thing, although we're not there yet, we have a, we have a card story, a card show experience nearly every day with 70 different boxes, showcases full 195 different hobby boxes. There's a lot of stuff in our, in our shop. Um, but continuing to improve that, I think will be the important thing, um, between now and, you know, the future. Well, especially a show experience, a show experience every day. I love that. Especially because you're providing liquidity to like people who really they they just don't really have. I mean, like if you come in the shop with like a two thousand dollar card, like oftentimes and like you you kind of want liquidity for that. Like you have the ability to either provide them like full cash or like some sort of trade. Like you just have so many options if they come in store and then make that deal happen, right? And and having that experience behind that, behind coming into the store, behind uh, searching through any number of things that could attract this person. I mean, it really does prove valuable for customer and for for yourself as well. Agreed. Let's talk a little bit about. Um, so f- we thought we mentioned fanatics, um, mm-hmm. and you also mentioned like throwing events at shops. Like, and, and I do think that the shops that are well known, the shops that are well kept, the shops that uh, tend to put out more product, sell more product. I, I do think that they are going to end up being or becoming like hubs essentially for fanatics, unless they want to open their own independent shops, which. Quite frankly, I don't see that happening considering all the overhead costs associated with something like that. So do you, would you say that, actually, uh, let me just leave it an open into question. What do you think Fanatics is going to do in terms of uh, moving forward with card shops? Oh, that's a good question. Um, obviously, I don't have any inside information. No, of this. course, I, of course. I've, I'm not, I've, I've, yeah, I've yeah, not yeah. had any conversations about this. I want to be yeah. very, very clear. This is all speculation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, everything I've heard uh, in passing about what Fanatics is going to be looking for is around the, um, like I talked about earlier, like the experience, uh, the events, the community involvement. Fanatics is looking for people that are doing things in the local community. They're providing the best experience for a customer. They have the most offerings. They're having events. They're focused on kids. A lot of those type things. Um, I I think Fanatics is going to weed out the folks that have built card shops and built businesses kind of resting on their laurels over the last decade um, by, you know, you, you, you find a card on there and you could wipe a quarter inch of dust off of somebody's card because it's more of a museum than it is a card shop. It is, hey, we're getting product. We're making money on it. We've been open for 20 years. We're not really doing a whole lot, but we're making money because we've been in it the long, right? It's just a, it's a seniority thing. But yeah. I don't think Fanatics cares about that. I think Fanatics is like, what are you doing to grow the hobby? What are you doing to build sustainability? What are you doing to be involved in the community? And I think Fanatics will keep an eye on that. And I think Fanatics will reward those who are doing those things. Fantastic response. I, I mean, I, I, I would agree with you. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, everything that we've seen so far from Fanatics and from Michael Rubin has all been about like 
like see what we're up to. Uh, we want to involve everyone. I mean, even that that interaction at Burbank, like I talk about this a lot on how yeah. he had the ability to just call Devin Booker, who happened to be that 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 uh, that girl's favorite basketball player, and and just like yeah. connect those two. Uh, I mean, I recently I saw that tops what was they had they head over to uh, the like a little league uh, practice and they they brought Juan Soto with them. Do you know what I mean? Like just that kind yeah. of ability. Uh, number one, I love yeah. to see stuff like that. And and number two is like, that's the kind of stuff that they want to be pushing. And so if you help with that vision, then I, I can't imagine that they don't support you as well. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. And I, I mean, it it's crazy what Fanatics has done in such a short period of time. Like we haven't seen this for so long in the hobby, like the, the Soto thing, the post, the pictures of, you know, Wemby that he's got on there with the yeah. card, like you saw the buzz that generated yeah, already. Yeah. They went to a card show in where was it? Philly, Chicago, Philly. like Philly. a lot of the, a lot of the team went there. Um, You got the commercials with J rod. You've got like just so many things already. And they've only just begun. Uh, I think that's the big thing from fanatics is the behind the scenes. Look at this the access to the athletes that they already have. And, you know, Joe Burrow is a Fanatics exclusive athlete for autograph memorabilia. Like just a matter of time until Joe Burrow signing NFL trading cards that are Fanatics owned and they're showing behind the scenes. Joe Burrow is probably the most likable guy in the NFL. I can't think of anybody more likable than, than Joe Burrow. It's not Mahomes. It's not Josh Allen. It's not Tua. It's not Jalen Hurts. It's nobody. It's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is the most likable athlete in the entire NFL. He's a Fanatics exclusive guy. Fanatics is going to have commercials with Joe Burrow signing cards, signing memorabilia. He's just a cool dude, man. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time until you see those. And I, the fact that they've already done this much and they only have the baseball license, it's. I think it bodes well for the hobby in three, four, five years when Fanatics has complete control over the major three licenses. That's that's the uh, that this kind of stuff is super exciting. It keeps me positive about the 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 hobbies out look uh passion coming from people like you ryan uh here here in the quaint city of toronto uh we have so much potential there's a lot of exciting stuff going on because the stores that are out there they're getting involved in so much uh that that kid focus events uh shows grading all these things that you can uh that you can get involved with uh mint ink relics among them uh that coach co and i uh, have, have done a lot of work with um, here's a question for you that might initially sound like a cliche, but a part of it is actually, Ryan, I want you to kind of, in a way, perhaps talk some people out of things, but maybe also give advice. So what we're seeing sure. now is that there are a lot of people that hopped into the hobby mm-hmm. as hobbyists who now find themselves in a scenario, perhaps their purchasing was not as intelligent as it could have been. Uh, perhaps it was guided by the wrong sources. They've got a lot of cards. They are finding a situation, and we saw this at a recent show. Not uh, that uh, Coach Code, you didn't actually attend, man. No, Everyone was not. looking for the mustache, we didn't see you. Uh, but it was a recent show in town. And what we found is a lot of clients and customers are now becoming dealers slash business people operating in the space. If, if if you get what I'm saying, and oh yeah. Now that is not to say that some of these people actually have great ideas and could potentially do great things that benefits the hobby. But we all know that the vast majority are in many ways kind of perhaps even getting in the way or creating scenarios where they just really don't know what they're doing. You have some advice for people that are looking to make that transition for better or for worse. And also, do you have any advice for people that probably should stay out of the space in that, in, in that way, if you get what I'm saying? 
yeah, it is. This is not like the easy answer is like it'll probably sound conceited and it's not meant to sound that way at all. But like I got really good advice from like who doesn't a guy that doesn't have a lot of love in the hobby anymore, but I found him before he got into cards. Uh it was Gary, Gary V. Uh I I I sat at a <laughs> yeah, I I sat at a I sat at a desk for two and a half years and did like a lot of data entry. I worked at a community college, did a lot of like grant work. So it was like getting student data, yada, yada, yada. I had two computers screen. One was on Gary's daily V vlogs. One was on work. And I sat there and I watched Gary and a lot of his con, uh, a lot of his content was around one life, no regrets. And a lot of it was around, uh, you know, um, forget the word I'm looking for here, but basically like, um, self-realization like you have to be on a hundred percent honest with yourself right like you can't complain about a job you don't like and not be willing to do anything about it so i audited a lot of my time when i was really trying to see if this worked because regina and i like we had conversations about like can you do this full time yeah. is this just a hobby like that's a conversation we hit that 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 road at one point and i did uh, I've told the story before, but like I paid for our wedding through cards. It was really my time to show my wife this could be done. Here's how I do it. I did it while working a full-time job, keeping all of my money in the bank from the job, right? Using all that. But it was a lot of like, I audited a lot of my time. So what am I doing from, you know, can I get up 30 minutes earlier? Can I work late on Sunday nights? Can I work on lunch breaks at work? Can I, you know, I was going to school full-time at Ohio State. Like, can I find time there? And I think that was the biggest thing is like, I don't know if everybody's a hundred percent honest with themselves about how hard you're willing to work. And that I think is the biggest, the biggest determining factor is, are you willing to travel? Like the, the price of success, it, it is the things you don't see. It's late nights. It's time away from family. It's broken relationships with friends. It is time on the road away from family. It's missed birthday parties. It is, those are the things most people aren't willing to give up. Right. Like most people like, Hey, I, I'm going to, I'm going to buy this deal for a hundred. I'm going to sell for 500. I just made 400 bucks. I'm taking the weekend off is no, it's 400. How do you turn 400 into six, six and eight, eight into 10, 10 into 12. And you just keep going. And over time, 17 years, 18 years, 25 years, those things compile and compounding over 15 years, it really adds up. But I think that's the biggest thing I see is like, there's a kid that used to work for me. His name's Logan. Um, just saw him this weekend. Great kid. Um, worked for me for a little while. And I always knew he was going to do cards full time. We talked about it from the very beginning. He worked for me for 18 months, two years, learned a lot. We talked a lot. He goes on his own now. He's a hardworking kid, hard worker, um, spends a lot of his free time doing this. Like really, like we talk about like the auditing his time. Um, he's going to be super successful. I, 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 I know it, but I think that's the big thing is I think it seems so cool to do it full time, to travel, to be on in, in Dallas, to be buying cards, but that's that's the one percent of the of the of the real work. It's yep. staying up late, pricing cards for a whatnot sale. You got to run tomorrow. You know, I ran a whatnot sale last night from seven fifteen to ten fifteen. I didn't have dinner with my pregnant wife. Like that's just that's just the price of doing it, right? Um, it's. Having, you know, we have 13 employees, it's meeting with every employee, it's understanding the business, understanding the, the, you know, what we're doing tomorrow, what we need to buy, what we need to, re you know, get rid of, like, there's just so much that goes into it. And I, I, I just don't think it's like, hey, you just get to travel to a couple of shows, hang out with your buddies and buy some cards. Like, you can do that, but I just don't think it'll work out really well. So that would be my biggest piece of advice is you really have to look yourself in the mirror and say, Hey, can I actually do this? Am I willing to bust my, you know, behind uh, to be, to be great. And that I think is the, the biggest tell.
We like we like politically correct here. <laughs> I appreciate that. That was an unreal response. I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, you, you, we talked a lot about Ohio State and how much this means to both you and your wife. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the few people that I know in the hobby that that collects uh, has a true PC, like a true PC. Like I know yeah. a lot of people say, like, "Oh, I PC this guy," and 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 fine, maybe you do. But I mean, the, a lot of the cards that you buy and that you acquire. It is very like little to do with value, and it has has everything to do with kind of like how does how how does this make me feel? How does you know? Yeah. I, I've heard you go off on like I remember when this guy had a game winning t- touchdown on on at this game, you know, like yeah. So uh, number one, I want to first off give you kudos for you know true PC and and really it's like not even really about the money with those cards, but I also want to ask like what is your and I know you also have a lot of game like game used and like jerseys and stuff like that. So I'm curious to hear what the question is. But what is your favorite piece in your collection? Doesn't have to be sports cards. It could be anything Ohio State. Um, that's a good question. Obviously, Ohio State's like my big PC. Uh, I collect a guy called uh, his name's Donnie Nicky. His mom was my art teacher. So cool. I was I was like eight or nine years years old when he won a national title at Ohio State, went on to play from the in the NFL. And I graduated with 164 kids, right? So I grew up in a small, like Amish country town in the middle of like nowhere, just outside of Columbus. Yeah. Um so to see a guy like that succeed from a small town was really cool. Right when I had my first some of my first interactions in cards were like late 90s, early 2000s. Like I remember ripping a box of like oh one rookies and stars. Um so like to see that early on, that's that's who I you know fell in love with collecting from a young age. And then as you're building a collection, you don't really like when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, I'm not like, oh, I can't wait to buy all my Dianicki cards. I was only yeah, focused yeah. on, you know, flipping then. But as time has gone on for the last six or seven years, I've really collected him hardcore. Doesn't have more than two or three cards, but um, I have a couple. I have a game issued Donnie Nikki Ohio State jersey, and I have multiple game worn Donnie Nikki uh, Titans jerseys. Um, those, I mean, that to me is like, that's why I started collecting, like was chasing his stuff. Um, so to me, it would probably be something of Donnie Nikki. Like that would be the last stuff I would ever sell. Um, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I already know. I think we already know the answer to this, but are we collecting the uh, the blue jackets, Ryan? Um, I collect the blue jacket stuff here and there. The problem with the CBJ is there's not a lot of like guys I look back on and like this guy's a legend in Columbus. Nash is probably the biggest example. I have like a couple limited logos of Nash um, because he's, he's the best guy. Um, You know, I I like Boone Jenner a lot and he's not very expensive. Like he's a favorite. I like Ruenski. I always thought it was going to be PLD and then that didn't work out. Yeah. Um, So We'll see. Maybe, maybe, you know, I loved Panarin. He was my favorite player when he's here, but you know, that did obviously didn't work out either. So we'll see maybe Johnny hockey, maybe line a, like maybe one of these guys. Um, I pick him up here and there, but it's definitely hockey's not my main sport. So like probably the biggest guy collecting hockey is, is McDavid. And and by the way, Rick Nash is seeing a bit of an uptick in, uh, in interest and, and collectability here in Canada. So if you are on that, you might, you're going to have a little bit more, competition coming up <laughs> as it seems why is that you know uh, i see waves of interest in some of the players you know more recently retired and, and, and things like that. we saw with uh, we, we've been seeing with jason's pets uh, things like that and i think just the amount of time that has gone by and the, and the appreciation 
for some of these guys that played in an era when you start getting past kind of the Ray Bork, Steve Eiserman, Joe Sackett, golden era, it's a little bit of a, uh, more of a quiet era in hockey and people are plucking guys. So Zdeno Chara, for example, Zdeno Chara is getting a lot of asks uh, when people walk into a shop and so is Rick Nash. And anytime we get a Rick Nash it seems to go real quick. It's Rick funny. Nash. Some of, some of my earlier memories in, in like cards, like I had a kid that uh, I collected with like in 2003, they were big hockey fans. They were big Avs guys. So like Forsberg, Patrick Waugh, Joe Sackick, Hey Duke. Yeah. Like I, I, I grew up like watching those guys. Rob Blake. So, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's cool. Some of like my early memories. And that's why like I, I find stuff like this and that this is the best part of collecting is when you've been in it for so long, you remember these moments in time. Like I remember when Tony Romo was, was named starter. Yeah. Like I remember going to a card shop and finding Tony Romo stuff. I lived through Lynn Sanity. I remember watching Jeremy Lynn put up all those points and finding his cards and flipping those like Peyton Hillis and what he did in Cleveland the one year, like ran all over the Patriots. I was in like 11, I was in probably like 10th grade, like those things in cards, CJ, you know, Chris Johnson running a four, two, four, right. I talked about it on card talk or one of my mail day videos, but like Chris Johnson in 2008 had a rookies and stars, uh, like embroidered patch auto. A lot of his stuff just said CJ. That's all he signed. But he had a few of them that said Chris Johnson spelled out. And at the time, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't known that he had full signatures. Yeah. So I was buying his full signature stuff because they never popped up. Well, when he starts running for 2,000 yards, his stuff blew up, right? So selling the full signatures for a premium because they didn't – just stuff like that that I look back on and I always say like 14, 15-year-old old Ryan would be stoked – that we got these cards now. Cause I remember wanting this stuff when I was collecting Tom Brady base in 2006, 2007 to be able to buy it later, that full circle moment. That's, that's what makes it fun. Can you ever remember a time where the prospecting was like so volatile? Cause, and, and I mean, it's fun to collect prospects, but like some of the prices, yeah. uh, they just seem to be, I just completely like, they've always been kind of ridiculous when someone first comes out. And, but I just sure. find that the drop off, is so considerable now and yeah. and the prices start so high that no matter what this player accomplishes like it's almost impossible for for these things to stay to stay where they were or stay where they are yeah no you're 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 not wrong um yeah you're, you're definitely not wrong i i don't remember a time um you know i, I remember buying Derek carr like cards like that was a guy i did really really well on um buying his stuff, flipping that. And I don't remember a time since then where it was like, it just seems like it gets crazier and crazier, honestly. Um, you know, you see what Brock Purdy does. Brock Purdy was mystery relevant. Um, coming off an injury, may or may not. And his stuff, I mean, it's for a lot of like life-changing money. Yes. And I think that's some of the, I think that's one of the things I talk about it every now and then is, I think sometimes we become numb to the values of the cards that we're buying and selling. Like it's not a lot of money outside of this space. And I think that's something that's overlooked a lot is, you know, I sold a Kenny Pickett uh, teal or aqua contenders optic auto the other day at a 99. It was redemption sold for like $750. And I'm like, $750 is a ton of money. Absolutely. Most Americans, you said, hey, this 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 redemption card of Kenny Pickett, I don't have, it's not Kenny Pickett, but this redemption card of Kenny, this is worth $750. Most people would be like, that's crazy, right? So what does Kenny Pickett have to do to maintain that? I mean, Big Ben, I saw the post on Slab Stocks, like Big Ben's Ultimate Collection, 101, 9, 5, 10, Ricky Auto just did 19,000. 
Big Ben has two Super Bowl rings. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Kenny Pickett would love to have that kind of career. Actually, even I, I even half, it. even half the career. You know, like he, yeah. I love the way you're you're de- describing that because that that is that weird feeling when I'm when I'm moving Tamar Johnson and Jackson Holiday cards at the numbers that we're seeing. It just really yeah. is. You do stop and think about that that someone is investing that amount of money, whether it's a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. That is still a lot of money. That's somebody's rent. That's somebody. You know. That's 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 payments, and uh, they're putting it into those uh, into these uh, unproven prospects. Listen, the cartel remembers Kevin Moss and Todd Van Poppel. I don't remember so, those two, so you got me beat there. That that and and anyone listening who hears those names, they're going to fondly remember the uh, the crazy days of the early '90s when Upper Deck first was uh, was making cards. And we we take in collections now, and I'm sure you do, Ryan, where people were collecting during that period of time. You're probably flipping through these what what seems like PCs of these guys, and you're just who are these guys as you as you're about to toss them in the garbage. But yep. that that's just the reality of the, this crazy thing we do, Ryan. I, I want to uh, get this in here while we have you. You mentioned the word influencer. You don't like the word, and I totally understand that. But it is a reality. You are a recognizable person in the space. There, are, I, I don't think there's a ton, uh, 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 a, a huge amount of people that are in that position where you know just seeing a face. The maybe if they don't even know your name, they they've seen you. They know that they'll say, "I know that guy." Um, it puts eyes on you. Puts an unfair degree of uh, of uh, of um, you know. Uh, of analysis on you versus, you know, another, you know, random uh, dealer, shop owner, or person on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about dealing with the haters. This is a question I ask to a lot of people that we have on that, that have a large following. I think the only bump I've ever witnessed you involved with was that, uh, was that uh, grading issue that you had. Yep. Outsourcing is not uh, a bizarre or, or un, uh, or, or uh, uh, inconsistent thing in any business world. I think the way you dealt with it was appropriate. You you uh, you spoke up about it. I think as of today, it's not something that 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 had a major effect on your following or how people perceive you. But I did want to talk to you a little bit about that. Get your thoughts on what you maybe might have done differently in the lead up, and how you do deal with the sometimes unfair amount of criticism that you'll receive as a quote unquote influencer yeah it's a fair question um it's actually never something i've talked publicly about since then um but i think the the big thing in hindsight is there's there's a couple things i i I think about right it's it's obviously the biggest the biggest um knock I've, i've i've gone through and it's hindsight's 2020 but I think the big thing is I would have gone directly to the relationship at the start. Um, I Because we had done PSA subs like a long, long time before that. And I remember like a PSA sub was supposed to be back before the national. And I had posted something on my Instagram at the time. And this was, I was so small then. Um, but it it had worked its way up. And I was like, yeah. And I had heard that PSA wasn't like super happy with us for what we had said. Um, it was basically like, Hey, this is supposed to be back. This is like, uh, when you could get subs back a little bit quicker, it wasn't yeah. in demand. And I was, I was, I was critical of PSA and that. So I kind of assumed that the relationship wasn't there and don't really love awkward confrontation and kind of like avoided it. And looking back on it, the fact that I put my, you know, I told you guys before, and I mean it more than anything 
this is something I want to do forever. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And you can't rush something you want to last forever. So putting my reputation and my brand in somebody else's hand, that was the biggest mistake is putting everything I had worked so hard for for so long and putting that into somebody else and hoping that they have the same ethics and um, you know ideas and goals and desires and all of those things that I do. Well, that's, 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 that's only a fool would do that. And I think that was the biggest thing I look back on. It was, um, you know, being too trustworthy in a time and trying to rush something so quick rather than just be like, I mean, again, I talked about it before, but it was meant to be like a competitive advantage thing It's yeah. Hey, these are going to the front door of PSA. I'll save customers time. We'll be able to get them there. We'll obviously make money on it, grow a team. Um, and I think looking back on it, um, that was the mistake was trying to rush it and just speed it up in the moment. Like, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to pay this price. I want to pay this price. I want to get them in the front door. Like, let's do this. And, um, should have kind of built it from the ground up, like everything else we had done. Um, that was, that was the biggest mistake. So, um, yeah, trying to rush something we wanted to, you know, I obviously care so much about that was the, that was the mistake in it. Well, I appreciate you adding that bit of information that perhaps people didn't stop and and realize. And I think it's completely, uh, I certainly empathize with that because, you know, especially early on with the cardboard coaches, a lot of our content was about, you know, tops isn't doing this right. PSA's got all these issues. Again, not being a knock on them. I'm a huge supporter of these companies at the end of the day. I didn't, I didn't start buying less tops cards. I didn't stop, stop sending cards to PSA, but you do worry about your interpersonal relationships. So I, I, I appreciate that you add that bit of information there in your headspace with what was happening. And, and it certainly, uh, it, it certainly makes things um, uh, more accessible in my mind in terms of what happened. But I do give you kudos for at least discussing the issue. And again, I think it says a lot about you and your reputation and who you are, that here we are today and you've kind of weathered that storm. And I think you could probably weather any storm that comes your way, whether it's fair, unfair or whatever it is. So I do he appreciate also, you talking about it. You also made everyone whole too, right? Like you you were at the front lines making sure that right. everyone was good. So, I mean, it's appreciate i mean i appreciate that i'm sure that those people remember that right so um i mean obviously you mentioned hindsight's 2020 and i mean the recipe for anything to be like successful and sustainable long term is to just not rush it but like it's easier said than yeah. done and when you're in that position where you're faced with like you know you're uh, you're up against essentially everyone else around you and you're like how like how do i separate how, how do i separate myself um i mean sometimes you got to you got to make those mistakes and and like i said I I think that you made everyone whole and, uh, you know, kudos to you for that. So. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an expensive lesson, yeah. but, um, yeah, it was an opportunity to, to learn and not make that mistake again. So like, on so, a lighter note, Ryan, I know that, I know that we don't have a ton of time. Uh, yeah, let, I will of course allow time for coach Co uh, uh, to uh, give us kind of a closer here. I want to get back to playing word association. I really regret that I didn't do this with Jeremy Lee. I'm not going to drop the ball again with Ryan. It'll be quick. It's just sure. going to be people in sports and obviously sports in the context of the cards. Let's do this real quick, Ryan. I'm sure you've done this before. You know the whole shebang, the deal. Uh, so we're going to start with, uh, I'll start easy and go from there. Lameen James. <laughs> uh, icon. Card porn. Um, man. Mm. um what it what the idea behind it is very good whether it 
walks the appropriate line all the time and doesn't keep some people in or out of the 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 lines i, I think is a little unfair i don't have a one word answer for it but the idea of of somebody that looks out for the hobby is a very good thing. There is definitely fraud. There's definitely bad things in this. This is an unregulated business. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to be fair to all parties involved. I'm not excluded from that. I took, I got it when it happened. Like when the Mark Scars thing happened, I had it, but I think we've got to include everybody in those conversations, not just pick and choose because of who we're friends with and who we're not friends with. And remember most current and what's on your mind now, Gary V. Um, my answer will be very different from most people, but, uh, inspirational F1 cards. Oh man, they're down bad right now, but I love F1 soccer cards. Coach go, man, biggest, I, I think it's one of the biggest will season cards it whether it works out or not i think it's going to be one of the biggest mysteries and i'm the most looking forward to because it's the it's a global game and it's so big it's going to continue to grow in the u.s what will atlanta in 2026 i think 2026 what will that do to it that will be the biggest tell in the world i I'm, i'm looking forward to it it's not something i'm super 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 deep in but i'm excited wwe cards um passionate we have a little bit of it on our whatnot streams in shop. Like we, we, we get it and we have it. I don't know a sport or a a collecting base that is more passionate. The real word of the fan, right? The fanatic, they put the fan and fanatic. That is WWE to me. I don't watch it. I'm not into it, but man, they are, they're real fans. Got one more. And then we'll, we'll go to coach Co. if he has any, and I would say coach Co. but the obvious answer is mustache. Uh, hockey cards <laughs> hockey cards um um they're the best designed cards in all of the hobby um they don't make cards i showed you guys earlier they don't make cards like limited logos there's nothing in the hobby like that today the problem with it is it just takes too long to get the fact that we just got robertson and uh you know capper's cup I know. What, two, yeah. So so Legit, long. Like, that's Legit. that. Yeah. If they get that figured out, like again, I told you guys before, like off the line, like outside of Ohio State football, there's no team I would want to win a, any title more than the, the Blue Jackets. So the only professional team I've ever had in the city I grew up in. Um, I I couldn't want CBJ to win one more. I love hockey. It's fun to watch. So we'll see. Big show to Billy that's Celio, who was on the on the podcast last week. He's uh, up for deck. Um. Ryan, man, I just want to thank you for for joining us today and and uh, you know producing a genuine conversation where I'm sure that I mean I know I I got to know you better and I'm sure our listeners did too. So, uh, quick plug: where can everyone find you if they don't already know who you are? Yeah, anywhere you can find content or, or cards. We're pretty much anywhere, whatnot. Um, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. It's it's card culture too. Perfect, and. Uh, Team, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Cardboard Coaches. Please feel free to like, subscribe, comment. Let us know what you you loved hearing the most from Ryan. For now, Coach Go and the Cardboard Coaches are out of here. Peace.